For believers, it's the gospel that gives us joy and strength for each day. We find that gospel, that good news, throughout the Bible, both in the New and Old Testament. Isaiah proclaimed that gospel in the 53rd chapter of his prophecy when he said about Jesus, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Welcome to Gospel Talk with Pastor Wes Bradenhoff. We're glad that you've joined us. Each weekday afternoon, we come to you with gospel-centered biblical teaching. Here's our host, Pastor Wes Bradenhoff. Well, good Wednesday afternoon to you. Welcome to another edition of Gospel Talk. Well, this week on Gospel Talk, we are considering the doctrine of God's providence. As always, it's important to define our terms, to be absolutely clear about what we mean by the word providence. And there are a number of places that we could go to find definitions of that word. I think one of the, the most beautiful definitions is found in the Heidelberg Catechism, which is one of the doctrinal standards of the Canadian Reformed churches that sponsor this broadcast, also a lot of other Reformed churches as well. In the Heidelberg Catechism, question 27, what do you understand by the providence of God? God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. And then the next question of the Heidelberg Catechism asks, what does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? The answer... We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they cannot so much as move. That's the doctrine of God's providence, or the, the definition of God's providence, God's providence is his power by which he upholds and governs all things. And over the last couple of days, we've been looking, about, looking at how that is illustrated in the life of Joseph. You know, there's this terrible tragedy that happens to Joseph. He's his father's favorite son. He's going out to meet his brothers out in the field. His brothers see him coming. They throw him into a pit. They sell him to slave traders. He ends up in Egypt. He gets falsely accused of rape, ends up in prison. And only after a couple of years in prison do things start turning around for Joseph. And eventually he rises to the top when famine hits the land of Egypt and as well as the surrounding regions, Joseph's in control. And he's finally, or he's successfully rather, managing the food resources of Egypt. And of course, then his brothers show up. They end up looking for food and they don't recognize Joseph. But eventually, Joseph reveals himself to them. He says, I am Joseph, your brother. And there's this you know, very poignant emotional reconciliation, a moment of uh, reuniting between his brothers and him. And when, when that happens in Genesis 45, they think that he's going to be angry with them. He, he, humanly speaking, he would have every right to be angry with them, to hold a grudge. But that's not Joseph's attitude. Instead, he reassures his brothers that he's not angry with them. And then he also goes on to say more, to give them the big picture, the big perspective. 
He says in verse 5 of Genesis 45, And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me here ahead of you. And then in verses 7 and 8 of Genesis 45, Joseph says, But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. It was not you who sent me here, but God. That's what Joseph says in Genesis 45. The brothers of Joseph had done a great evil and they compounded it with their lie to Jacob, their father. Yet Joseph tells them it was all God's doing. God was the one who had sent him to Egypt. And he says exactly the same thing in Genesis 50 after Jacob is dead. After Jacob, their father is dead. Joseph's brothers are really worried that it's now is going to be payback time. They even appear to concoct a, another story to save their hides, a story about Jacob asking Joseph to forgive his brothers. It seems spurious, but it doesn't matter because Joseph wasn't interested in payback. He didn't care whether or not Jacob had really said it. He just wanted to give his brothers reassurance in the first place. And then second of all, that big picture perspective again, the picture that includes God's fatherly hand. Verse 20 of Genesis 50 says it all. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. That's Genesis 50 verse 20. According to Joseph, inspired by the Holy Spirit, God was in control of the situation. In his providence, God upheld and governed all things in this story. Nothing happened by chance. Nothing surprised God. The rain and the drought, the fruitful years and the barren years, all came by his fatherly hand. Even the intentions and the actions of wicked men were turned for good by the fatherly hand of God. God used the sons of Jacob to save his people, to save his people so that his plans for the ultimate redemption would come to fruition in the passage of time. You see, friends, the story of Joseph and his brothers points ahead to the glorious redemption obtained for us by Christ. You know, there too, when we look at the, the story of Christ and his suffering and death, there too we see wicked men with evil intentions. Just take the gospel of, of Mark. At the beginning of Mark 3, we see the Pharisees conspiring together with the Herodians to put Jesus to death. The Pharisees, you could describe them as sons of Jacob. They were, they were descended from Jacob and his sons. So they're back at it. The sons of Jacob were conspiring with the sons of Esau. The Herodians were descended from, from Jacob's brother Esau. They were conspiring to kill the Messiah that God had sent into the world. God's beloved son became the object of an assassination conspiracy. And when the beloved son of God tells them in John 8, before Abraham was, I am. When he said that, they understand that he's claiming to be God. And so what did they do? These sons of Jacob? They picked up stones to stone him. And Jesus narrowly escaped their impulsive attempt to do away with him. It happened all over again in John chapter 10. And in Luke 4, verse 30, when 
Jesus was in Nazareth. The crowd became so angry with him that they brought him to a cliff and they were going to toss him off. You see, the sons of Jacob never get tired of attempting to do away with the beloved son. And eventually, through deceit and a little bit of greed, they succeed in having him put to death. They persuade Judas Iscariot with 30 pieces of silver. Remember how Joseph was sold to the Midianite traders for 20 pieces of silver. The price has gone up now from 20 to 30 pieces. And Judas betrays him with a kiss, like a brother would. The sons of Jacob take Jesus away to be tried, to be tortured, to be crucified, like one of the worst criminals you can imagine. Jacob's sons, back in Genesis, they merely sold Joseph into slavery. These sons of Jacob, they go all the way. Their hatred compels them to put this favorite son, God's well-beloved son, to death. Joseph's beautiful robe gets returned to Jacob. He's sold into slavery almost naked. Almost Jesus' clothes are split and they're gambled away. Jesus hangs on the cross entirely naked. Joseph bears the ridicule and shame of being a slave and later on an alleged rapist being put in prison. Jesus bears the shame of being an alleged heretic and blasphemer. And not only that, he bears the wrath of God against sin, against our sin though he himself was completely sinless and innocent. On the cross, Jesus descended into the deepest shame and anguish of hell. Between Joseph and Christ, friends, who do you think suffered the more deeply and the more intensely? Between Joseph and Christ, against whom was the greater evil perpetrated? Well, we all know the answer to that question, don't we? Friends, the greatest evil ever committed was when the innocent Son of God was nailed to the cross. That was the greatest tragedy that has ever taken place in the history of mankind. Because Jesus, the perfectly innocent Lamb of God, he deserved nothing of that. He was the perfectly obedient Son. Yet he received the most horrible punishment imaginable. He was rejected by humanity and rejected by God. You know, looking to the cross, we see something so wicked, so evil, that words begin to fail when we want to describe it and do it justice. There's just no way that that words can suffice. Now let me ask you, Did the cross fall outside the sovereign will and plan of God? Was our father upholding and governing all things when his son bled and died on Golgotha, on Calvary's cross? You know, not long after it happened, the apostle Peter, he answered those very questions. It was the day of Pentecost and Peter was preaching to the Jewish crowds. Good Friday, the day when Jesus had, was on the cross, had only been some 50 days earlier. It was fresh in the minds of everyone. And Peter said on that day in Acts 2.23, This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, 
with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. The Jewish people put him on the cross, and they're responsible for that. But yet, Peter says, this was all part of God's sovereign plan. God worked through this great evil to bring about the redemption promised long ago. Think about those words once again, Acts 2.23. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. God was on his throne when his son was on the cross. Our father was upholding and governing all things when his son bled and died on Golgotha. And friends, that is for our benefit, for our good. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you look to this son who died on the cross according to God's sovereign plan, you'll be saved. I hope that you are indeed resting and trusting in him today and every day. We're out of time for today. I'm glad that you joined me. Hope you'll join me again tomorrow as we continue considering God's providence. Till then, may God bless you richly. You've been listening to Gospel Talk with Pastor Wes Bradenhoff. Our prayer is that this broadcast has been a benefit to you, shining gospel light on your daily path. This broadcast comes to you courtesy of the Abbotsford Canadian Reformed Church. The Abbotsford Canadian Reformed Church warmly welcomes visitors each Sunday at 10 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. We're located at the corner of King and Mackenzie in Abbotsford. You can find more information about the Abbotsford Canadian Reformed Church at our website, www.abbotsfordchurch.com. Again, that website, www.abbotsfordchurch.com. You can also write for more information or to let us know if this program has encouraged you in some way. Email us at gospeltalk at hotmail.com. That's gospeltalk, all one word, at hotmail.com. You can also call us toll-free, 1-866-288-1087. Once again, that number, 1-866-288-1087. Thanks for listening today. This has been Gospel Talk with Pastor Wes Bradenhoff.